had wanted the readings to come up in the NRSV version uh, simply because it's, it gives such a better rendering of that text. A lot of the times you can get away with the different translations, but there were a couple of places uh, in the NIV where it says things completely opposite to what it says in the NRSV, which is the better translation. Uh, one of those is in Isaiah, um, but uh, we won't get too, uh, too concerned about all of that. I do think it's important at this time of year particularly and one other key time sort of uh, around uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus that these are seasons that we feel like we know so well and we can get a bit glazed eyed over the texts we can feel like we're so familiar with it that we know what it says we know what it's about we know what Christmas and Advent we know it we know it we know it and here we are in Advent going through the same readings that we've done for not just decades but perhaps centuries reading them over and over again and it's right that we do so but it's also right that we come to it fresh thinking that uh, we, we, we allow ourselves to rethink the scriptures again and not just think well I know it it's, it's, a, it's a terrible danger of um, if you've been a Christian for a long time the thing about Advent is that it paints this huge prophetic picture of the coming of the Messiah. And as we know, it's not just the fact that he came, which is kind of what we remember, particularly at Christmas, but that he's coming again. And we can get caught up in the he came and not give enough time I think sometimes to the fact that he is returning and uh, now we see it in our hymns uh, there's references to his coming again we see it in the prayers that we've had uh, so it's all there we've just got to make sure that we keep our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts open to that but in the Old Testament we've got this this map that points in one direction all these prophetic utterances towards the coming of a Messiah and then with the birth of Jesus we see the beginning of the fulfilling of these uh, prophecies and John is part of that uh, and that's that's where our scriptures come into today but we'll come to John uh, a bit later first of all in Isaiah 40 I'm going to be picking it up from verse 3 a voice cries out in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. This wasn't just picture language. This is what uh, they did in ancient times for their gods. They would parade them on big carts and to make the way straight and level so that they're gods didn't topple off their carts they would literally lower the mountains raise the valleys make the straight paths clear the roads so that all the the bumps were out of the way and they would parade their gods so this wasn't just the picture this was an understanding at the time of what they did now of course when Isaiah is speaking this he's not talking 
about the same thing, but it's drawing a picture for people to reference to, to say this is about making way for our God to come. But then in verse 5 it says, A voice, sorry, verse 5, Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When the path has been made straight, it says, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people shall see it together. Now when you think on that statement, you cannot say that that happened at the birth of Jesus. So there is part of that pointing to the coming again of Jesus. And we'll come back to that as well. And also the answering the question of, so, so what about this in-between time? Because uh, whilst part of this prophecy is fulfilled, there's still part of it yet to be fulfilled. So we'll come back to that. Verses 6 to 9 is... Uh, quite an interesting uh, part of the scripture, which in the NIV says that what shall I, when it says, what shall I cry out? It puts everything next in the speech marks as to what to cry out. Whereas I don't think it is. I think it's the very last part, which we'll come to in just a moment, but I'll read it. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass, their constancy is like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We've got this, this comparison between the, the transience of mankind, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Which is important, particularly as this is a prophetic word that's going to transcend millennia. From when it's first spoken, part fulfilled so many hundreds of years later, and then it, whenever it, it will be completed. But then we get to verse 9. And this is the part that is completely opposite to the NIV. Which, which version you've got there? You've got the NIV there. Okay, so in the NIV, it says, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Look at that direction. Now listen to this. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. That's the statement. When you get the question asked, what shall I cry? There it is there. Here is your God. So let's continue. See, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him. And there's another difference. Here in the NRSV it says his recompense is before him. In the NIV it says, I think it says, accompanies him, doesn't it? Okay, so interesting language, how things differ. So he comes with might. 
when it says with uh, his arm rules for him this is his holy and just rule this is what his, his right arm is it's his holy and just rule his reward is with him what is the reward a reward is what you receive it's something that you receive isn't it it's but it's in, in this context it's something that you receive when you come to him his reward is is with him his reward is him it is with him he is the reward but then when you get to the next line and he his recompense is before him a recompense is a gift or some kind of payment this is a reference to the Messiah Jesus is the recompense which is why this is the better translation it's not that it's not simply that Jesus accompanies the Father Jesus is before the Father the Father sends the Son ahead of him. So in, in one sense, there's almost a, a various layers of the preparation of the way. Because whilst there is the preparation of the way to the Messiah, the Messiah prepares the way to the Father. So, and then in verse 11, our final verse, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. There's the picture of the reward and the recompense. That kind of ties it up very nicely together. So how do you receive the reward? It is by receiving the recompense, the gift. And how does that work? How do we do that? Well, Jesus is the gift of God. Now, the recompense is a payment in response either to something that is owed or a response to something that has gone wrong, done, been done wrong. We might call it compensation. A recompense is a compensation. So here's God with a reward and with a recompense, a gift, a compensation. But God has done nothing wrong. God is not in debt. We did we are in debt we have done wrong and yet we know through the gospel that we see in, through the new testament is that jesus came to pay the price not the price that he owed but the price that we owe and here we have it in Isaiah that god is coming with the payments that we owe to him for, and he will pay it himself isn't that amazing that Isaiah probably not having a clue what he was actually saying and we now hear even a wrestling saying wow how come that is hidden in the text back then 
It's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? Okay, all right. It's... I'll, I'll take it in the, old, in the English way of there was some murmur, therefore it was extremely amazing. <laughs> but that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. The one prophesied, the one who came, the one who will come again. The one who has his path made straight for him and the one who makes makes straight the path for his father. So the answer begins to the question of how does it all happen. It begins in Isaiah, but we see it continued in John. Because in John... He answers the call, doesn't he? He answers the call of the heavenly voice. Now, it doesn't actually say whose the voice is. We can assume that it's God, but the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way. The voice speaks. The voice calls, the voice invites someone to step in that place and it, it reminded me a bit of the beginning of Isaiah when when God says who will go for me send me that's kind of John when we get into the gospel of Mark he is the one when it says uh, we'll pick it up in verse 2 as it is written in the prophet Isaiah now notes in your Bible, it may say in your footnotes, it may say something like, uh, in other Asian uh, authorities, it says something like, um, in the prophets. I don't know why they chose to write in the main text written in the prophet Isaiah, because the, the, the quote that we then get, only half of it Isaiah, the first part is from Malachi. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. That's from Malachi. And it then goes on to say, from Isaiah, uh, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Then into verse 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Stop there. Let's just take a look for a moment at verses 3 and 4. There's something really profound happening here. So verse 3, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. That's the first part of verse 3. The first part of verse 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness. So verse 4 is a parallel of verse 3. Verse 4 is reiterating and saying in a different way, in order to strengthen what is being said in the previous verse. So there, in the first part of each verse, we've got the parallel. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. John comes in the wilderness, proclaiming. So we've got context there that matches. We've got the place. Now the purpose. This is really interesting. I think so anyway. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's the second part of verse 3. Second part of verse 4. 
proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So where's the parallel there? What does it mean to make straight the paths? We're not talking physically now, we're talking spiritually. The way the path is made straight for God, for, for the Messiah to come into our lives is through repentance. Repentance is the straight path. Repentance is when we recognize that we've been on the wrong path. And it's time to change direction and now embark on the right path. And when we confess our sins, when we recognize that we've been the wrong way, and we recognize that his is the right way, we are making straight the path for him to come into our lives. It reminds me of the first commandment. Because the other thing that happens in repentance is that we're choosing to put aside all our gods, all the idols that we worship, all the idols, all the things that we have put before him. We're choosing to turn away from those things and fix our eyes solely upon him. Because he is the only one. Jesus, as he says, he is the way. He is the only way to the Father. And so we, we cannot be distracted by all these other pathways where they say, you know, all pathways lead to the same destination. No, they don't. There's only one path that leads towards him. And so we have that here too. But also repentance is that preparation of the vessel, of you and me, making clean the vessel to prepare the way for a holy God to take residence in us. I think that is amazing. I never saw this before. I love preparing to speak. And when, when I come to speak to people, I'm not going through an academic process of, well, this is what it says and this is what it means. It's, I want to say to you, this is what I've discovered. You know, I'm, I'm no special person. I'm learning. I just happen to be in a privileged position to, be, to look at this before you get a chance to. And I get to say, look what it says. Look what the Word of God says. And hopefully we can celebrate and enjoy that together. Now, John preached repentance. We know that, we see that. But so did Jesus. So did Peter. So did Paul. And even when you, when you read Acts, so did the Jerusalem church. When it recognised, when you read the story around uh, when the gospel first went to um, the Gentiles. They were like, well, what's going on here? We need to kind of ask a few questions here. And they recognised that they too had encountered repentance. 
And it's also, it's a very strong threat through Revelation. When you read the book of Revelation, repentance appears as a threat throughout that. And the reason why I want to emphasize that is because repentance has taken a bit of a back seat in church, in the way in which the gospel is presented, uh, and the way people are led to some form of relationship with Jesus. It has to include repentance. Repentance is the only way we can make that path straight for God. We can try and skirt around and make the gospel a bit more pleasant, a bit more palatable. You know, it's like, well, you know, that's okay. You know, you've gone this way, but hey, don't worry about it. You know, no, worry about it. Well, not worry about it, but recognize that it was wrong. We don't seem to be able to say that things are wrong these days for fear of some kind of reprisal. Nevertheless, it changes nothing. It's wrong unless you're going his way. Simple as that. Wouldn't you want someone that you love to know that where they're going is the wrong direction? Not because you want to wave a finger at them or, or, or impress the judgment and the wrath of God upon somebody. I mean, I know that we went, went through this period of hellfire and damnation. Not necessarily the right path to go, but just simply a purely love path that doesn't encounter repentance is also wrong. It's we have to recognize, because of love for people, that there is a right way to go. And repentance is part of that journey. And as we think upon that, Paul talked about this, and he talked about a ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5. And what he says is that we are all called to that ministry. That ministry of reconciliation is for each one of us to engage with. I suggest you have a look at that in your own uh, personal time. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 5 to look at that. Because repentance is key to reconciliation. Even between two people, when you have a process of reconciliation, there comes a point where uh, certainly one person in that party has to recognize that they have been wrong in order to enable reconciliation to take place. So that is that recognition that our path has not been a straight path. We have to choose the right path. That's what prepares the way. So when we think of this in between time, because this is a prophecy that is yet to be fully fulfilled, this one from Isaiah, is we engage too with preparing the way for the Lord. We too are part of that process of those who are calling out in the wilderness of the world to prepare the way for the Lord to come into the lives of people. I just want to pick, jump back into, I've kind of gone way away from my notes. 
which feels like a good idea at the time when you're speaking, but when you're only trying to get back on track, it's just impossible. So, going back into Isaiah, it says once, once we've gone through the text, it says about making the straight path for him, lowering the mountains and raising the valleys and so on. It says, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see this together. Now, this was something that Daniel also saw. He saw that same picture. And then when you look into the New Testament, you see that Jesus prophesied this. And that John saw it in his revelation. Where in Revelation? It's Revelation 1. Uh, And I'm going to just take you through this. You don't need to look it up at the moment. I'll, I'll go through the parallels. I'll just pull out the parallels from each one. So in Revelation, from uh, the second half of verse 5, it says, To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is Isaiah speaking of the reward and the recompense. And then verse 7 in Revelation. Look, he is coming with the clouds. This is Isaiah saying, here is your God. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Revelation. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. This is Isaiah saying, all the people shall see it together. And then back in Revelation, so it is to be, amen. This is Isaiah saying, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Because when the mouth of the Lord is spoken, and when John is saying in Revelation, so it is to be, that means nothing can change it. It is set. It will be this way and nothing can change it, whether we choose to engage with it or not. No matter who you are, what power you have, what nations come against, it will change nothing of the story that God has already written. So just to pull things together. In Advent... We remember Jesus came, but we also look to his coming again. And I want to encourage us to, perhaps in our thinking, push some emphasis towards that to redress the balance of this season. That we're not just sitting back going, wasn't it great that he came? Great though it was. He is coming again. And until then, we are those who are crying out in the wilderness. It's fair to say that the world is very much like a wilderness right now. Even often within the church itself, 
it can feel like a wilderness place. It's not for it's not for a time for us to be sitting back, but to be proclaiming, to proclaim repentance, to proclaim uh, the straightening of the path for those who will receive him. And it is for us to 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 cry out. I mean, what's one of the one of the key words of this season? It's Emmanuel. God with us. In other words, we are saying, here is your God. Here is your God who came. Well, first of all, let's start at the beginning. Here is your God who always was. Here is your God who came. Here is your God in the spirit who now dwells in us. And as we look to the end, we say, here is your God. This is our ministry of reconciliation. And finally, we will all see together his coming in glory. We will all see it together. And that includes those who refuse to accept him. All will see it. The line that I missed out of Revelation it says this every eye will see him even those who pierced him and on, on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail <clears throat> there'll be those who will rejoice at his coming in glory there will also be those who will wail knowing that they refused him and chose not to believe him Father we thank you for this season, this opportunity to remember to remember that you never forgot that you remembered us, that you sent the Messiah that not only did you send someone to make straight the path for him, but you sent him to make a straight path for you and Lord help us in this ministry of reconciliation to be part of the story of other people's lives where the path was made straight for them to receive Jesus.